welcome to the CD podcast. I'm the features editor, Thomas Cox. March 15th this year was a tragic landmark, 10 years since the start of the Syrian civil war in 2011. During this time, over 6.6 million Syrians have been forced to flee their country. Just over the border from Syria is Lebanon, which is enduring an appalling economic crisis. Many of the Syrian refugees who have fled to Lebanon are living in very cold conditions and struggling to find food. Zishan Romani, the owner of Manchester Pharmacy in Manchester, went to visit some of these refugees in February with the charity Syria Relief. He used the story of his visit as a springboard to a crowdfunding campaign with impressive results. So far, he has raised more than £125,000. I spoke to Zishan about how he raised such a colossal sum. I started by asking him how he got involved with Syrian refugees in the first place. This is what he had to say. I'd been obviously keeping up to date with the news anyway, and I wanted to do something really to try and help the situation the best I could. I knew someone that was working in the charity sector, and because I'd been involved in some local kind of community projects in the past, and they asked me if I fancied getting involved in helping with raising awareness abroad for Syrian refugees. So that's really how it started off. I, I went about two years ago and I saw the situation there at that time. I was involved in doing a lot of kind of the medical needs assessments in the refugee camps as well to allocate money towards various medical projects as well. And also I was the first aider on the team. And the fundraising really was just something that we were doing. The aim was to really show people what we were doing whilst we were there. So there was a lot of publishing stuff on social media, Facebook, Instagram, those kind of things, just showing people the situation and showing people could see that I was on the ground there. And then really from there, I think because of the transparency and how people knew that I was doing this as a volunteer and I wasn't getting paid to it, I think that probably encouraged others to donate because they could see that I was also there and I was overseeing the allocation of money and in charge of how it was being spent and and those kind of things. And it just, I think a lot of the posts on social media were just being shared by people over WhatsApp and Facebook and Instagram and just started to gain a bit of attraction and more and more people were following my journey whilst I was away. And I think that's what encouraged people to donate really and seeing the situation as well for themselves through me was something that encouraged other people to donate as well. And I think that's why the fundraising was so successful. Yeah, your story definitely captured people's interests and doubtless went, went quite a long way to encouraging to donate and find their imagination. So you, you first became involved with helping Syrian refugees via your local community in Manchester. Yes. Were some of your neighbours also involved in helping Syrian refugees directly by going to visit them in Syria or or in Lebanon? So I knew people that were working within the charity sector. So I think they were looking for people within kind of professionals that could help to bring more people in to help the fundraising and, and through contacts 
and those kind of things. So yeah, initially it was I just got involved with the local charity, just volunteered to try and help fundraise, and then the opportunity came to travel abroad as well. Other than Lebanon, I've also travelled to Jordan as well, visited one of the very very large refugee camps there as well. Is that three? And then also I've more recently I've been doing some work with Yemen as well. So I, I did travel to Yemen as well two years ago. Yeah, so a lot of different places. And, and is this all with the charity Syria Relief? So, yeah, I, I was working with a different charity in the past, um, Human Relief Foundation. And for the past year or so, I've been working with Syria Relief. So Syria Relief are actually the largest NGO working in Syria and in the surrounding areas. And recently, they're deciding to expand their work to other countries as well. So I'm involved in the work that they're going to be doing in Yemen. So I'm traveling 29th of April. So at the end of next month, I'm traveling to Yemen as well for two weeks to try and help the situation there as well. You're a very busy man. You're you're a a GP pharmacist, a contractor, and you're also traveling to places like Lebanon and Yemen. Yes. Filling them into your busy schedule. What are you able to do exactly? What do these trips involve? How long are they and why do they need people like you on the ground helping them? First of all, usually they last about one to two weeks. Last year when we had the Beirut blast, I was part of the emergency disaster relief team as well. So I was there like three days after the blast in Beirut. So that was a short trip. That was only one week. Some of them last up to two weeks. Because I'm known within the community As a contractor as well, a a lot of other pharmacy contractors know me through my work in general practice. I have been involved in delivering some talks and things. I've got a large network of people that know me and trust me, I suppose. And it started off as just a a one-off. Last year in the winter, I traveled to Lebanon, same trip. I raised about 30,000, which at that time was quite impressive. It just became a regular thing. They were like, you know, you, you feel free to come with us and I think it's the transparency that people like being able to see. And with Siri Relief, I do get quite a lot of autonomy in deciding how the money is allocated to different projects as well. So I think because of the the amount I'm able to fundraise due to all the support I've been getting from people, has been one of the reasons why I've almost become a member of staff now for the for the charity. So yeah, 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 full full time charity member. 30,000 is, is definitely an impressive sum. I would say that, that that's far more than, than I've ever, ever raised for charity. And when it comes to funding the trips, is it self-funded through your donations or is it funded by the charities that you work for? So the, the charity offer to, to pay for my travel, but I tend to pay for my own travel just out of, um, so that it's my own kind of trip. So that whatever money is donated, I like to make sure that every single penny of it goes towards the cause. And I think that's the other thing that really attracts people to donate as well, knowing that I'm self-funding myself and ensuring that all the money is going directly to the Syrian refugees. When you're on site in these refugee camps, are you working as a, as a pharmacist, as an independent prescriber? So, no, I'm not doing any prescribing. So one of the things that we do whilst we're abroad is a lot of family visits So visiting Syrian refugee families and then kind of assessing their needs. And quite often what we'll find is certain families, there'll be someone within the family that has a medical need. So, for example, recently on this trip that I I went on, there was a 
uh, a nine-year-old boy who had a broken leg. He broke his leg through a fall over a year ago, and he was still on, on crutches because they couldn't afford an operation. So at that stage, what they did is the family provided me with kind of the, the medical notes and assessments that had been carried out. And then they just need someone who's got a medical background to be able to decide, is this a legitimate medical need to spend the money on? And yeah, through this trip, we were able to fund this young nine-year-old boy's operation to get his leg sorted and hopefully off crutches in the next few weeks. That's brilliant. Is there a shortage of healthcare professionals like yourself helping in these situations? Are, are charities looking to recruit more people, more pharmacists? The thing is, it's being able to raise a large sum of money to justify the charity taking people out. Because it's not just the expenses of taking someone else, but it's all the security that comes with it. So especially places like Yemen, for example, um, there are some security risks. So it's, there's a whole load of issues that come with taking people out. But yeah, it, it definitely helps having someone uh, on the team that is able to deliver first aid or give them medical input as well into cases over there. Yeah, so definitely some, some safety issues for charity recruits. Do you feel safe yourself when, when you're going to, the, to these locations? There have been scenarios where there's a few small scares. So before I started getting more involved, I went on some, it was called, it's called heat training, hostile environment awareness training, which was a four-day training course by the, it was by the British Army here in the UK. It was in, a, in the middle of the, the woods in a location and there were different people from NGOs at the course. And that was really good because it taught us a lot of the first aid in hostile environments, how to deal with wounds, you know, shrapnel wounds, bullet wounds, how to respond in carjacking scenarios, in kidnappings. Quite scary. There were some role plays as well. So we had um, professional actors there who came and did like a kidnapping on us. I was surprised just to get us used to reacting to those scenarios. Two years ago in Yemen, there was a situation where we were told that the area we were in there was some rebel groups coming into the area. So we had to evacuate very quickly. So yeah, there has been some scenarios like that. But generally speaking, the, the security provided by the charities is quite good. So I do feel quite safe. Yeah, so hostile environment awareness training, maybe not, not something for your, your everyday UK, UK community pharmacists to, to get involved, involved with them. Yeah, definitely not, yeah. Is there much difficulty with COVID? Has it, has it made your trips to places more difficult? Has it made distributing aid more difficult for charities going to these locations? Yes. So last year was very difficult to get abroad. I was supposed to be going to Yemen last year around April time. And because of the COVID situation, I wasn't able to go. I mean, if you think about the amounts of money being raised, a lot of these people in, the, in these countries are, are missing out as a result. COVID has impacted the travel. To be honest, not just, but even for this trip, there was a lot of issues with traveling, getting PCR tests done, getting PCR tests done when getting back, having to isolate at home for 10 days when getting back, all these different issues. So it has been difficult, COVID. Yeah, I would have thought it might be easier for people who, who are on 
on the ground to just to stay there rather than than traveling back and forth have you would you would you ever consider just staying out in, in one of these refugee camps and helping permanently or are you I, I wouldn't be able to because of work <laughs> <laughs> i'd have to get back to work my employers in the gp practices that i work in are, are actually brilliant and really supportive because they know i take more holidays than the usual employee yeah so they're really supportive but don't want to take the make yeah 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 fair enough and obviously i do have to oversee the business as well so i don't want that to to suffer as well so i do have to keep a balance <laughs> yeah yeah lot, lot, lots of holiday but but um hard working holidays it sounds yeah exactly yeah you aimed extremely high for fundraising for your cause that to helping helping clothe house and and feed syrian refugees in, in lebanon with your initial target of hundred thousand pounds which is uh significantly more than the, the average person raises raising money for, for for a marathon or something how were you so ambitious with with your goal how were you so confident you'd be able to achieve such a massive sum to be honest and this happens every time i i do fundraising i started off with a ten thousand pound target because I, I, I knew 10,000 would be achievable because I, I do have some regular donors now who they almost wait for me to travel abroad so that they can donate towards a specific cause and, and businesses even that are, are looking to, to donate as well. So I started off with a, a 10,000 pound target and I actually hit the target within about 24 hours. So it's quite shocking. So I thought, okay, so I'll increase it to 20,000 and then within another two days, the target was reached. So it was, it was just a case of I just kept raising it. And then in the end, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to put my target at 100,000. So this particular trip was the highest I've ever raised. I think when I initially got in contact with yourselves, I was on 50,000. So that was how much I'd actually raised at the time. And then by the time I'd come back, it more than doubled. So yeah, I just kept increasing the target. Yeah, so it's shot up by about 70,000, I should say, over the course of a month, I think, um, since you last got in contact with us in mid-February. And yeah, it's incredible that you, you now have a, a fundraising following who are contributing, entire, yeah, entire yeah. companies contributing. It's not pocket change either, right? I noticed that one donation was £420. This particular trip, I did a lot of family sponsorships, and I think that's one of the things that was really popular. So a family sponsorship. So I looked at the needs of the people and for one family of approximately five people to the cost of their rent for the full year and food equated roughly to about £1,800. For £1,800, you could feed from the rent for a Syrian family for a full year. So I think when people saw that, they thought, you know, for £1,800, they can actually, it's about £150 a month. They can cover the cost for a family. So I managed to get over 30 sponsorships. So I was getting a lot of £1,800 donations coming through. And these were from other contractors. So, so I'm on a, a WhatsApp group with over 200 independent pharmacy contractors. A lot of these donations were coming from other pharmacist contractors. These are pharmacies which are considered my competitors within Manchester, donating towards the cause lots of other pharmacists that I know. It was absolutely amazing, honestly, absolutely amazing. The support, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't do this without the support of, of such kind-hearted people. Uh, despite the situation with COVID, 
and despite the financial difficulty that a lot of people are going through, to still give so generously to other people was absolutely amazing, heartwarming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible that people are able to, to put the, the, the rivalries of your yeah, yeah. To, to, one, to one side and, and give, give these, these vast sums. A WhatsApp group for contractors is a, a, a top tip. And w- did you have any, any other key fundraising methods to help you reach this, reach this huge sum? So, yeah, Facebook and Instagram. So especially on Instagram, I know a lot of the young people are on Instagram these days. So I was almost recording my journey. So taking snaps whilst I was on the plane, on the way there, telling people, this is what we've done today. This is what we've done today. People were almost on the journey with me. And the other thing is, is see, when people hear about approximately 90% of Syrians living below the poverty line or over 6 million Syrians displaced. So a recent research from my Syria Relief said 99% of displaced Syrians within Syria were suffering from PTSD. These are crazy figures. And when people hear these figures on the news or in the media, it's just a figure. But when I'm on the ground and I'm giving you the names of families that I've met. So, you know, for example, I give the name of a, a girl, you know, who um, a girl called Khulud, for example, who was a 24-year-old girl. When she was 17 years old in Syria, her, her parents were both killed in airstrikes. She was just 17. She had four younger siblings, all younger than her. She became the main carer for her siblings. She got married. Her husband got killed in airstrikes. She had a daughter. Her daughter was taken off her. As a 17-year-old girl to come over to Syria, uh, to Lebanon, escaping the war, and now she was 24 and she had all these, you know, the younger siblings that she was a sole provider and carer for. Uh, I met her, you know, I took a photograph with her. People could see these are their cases, you know, and when you personalize, um, it just makes it all a lot more real. And, and people can really empathize a lot more with these people. Uh, and I think that's why people donated a lot more as well. So the people that were donating towards the family sponsorships, I was actually, when I was breaking the news to the family, I was making a video of the, with the, with the family's consent, I was making a video of them. So the person that I donated here could see the response of the person there. Just going to pause the interview for a moment to share an audio clip from a Facebook video that Zishan shared of him in a tent in Lebanon telling a Syrian mother that her rent and food was going to be covered for the next year. Her children are really beautiful and uh, it's quite saddening that, you know, um, the the father of these children has just um, left them and, and, and got off. Really quite heartbreaking, to be honest, when you look at such beautiful children. Um, she's completely on her own, uh, trying to raise these five children. Mashallah, there, you can hear the little kids uh, laughing in the back. Um, well, alhamdulillah, like when she said, she said the money that they get, she goes, you know, it barely covers the cost of nappies. Um, she said when she was working before, uh, she, she used to leave the rest of the kids with the elder child, who was probably about nine years old at the time. Um, so subhanallah, uh, subhanallah, really uh, nice case and this woman's completely, um, she's a lot happier than she was before. A moving clip there from Zishan taken from his video of him speaking to a Syrian mother 
in a cold, dark tent in Lebanon, surrounded by her five children. This is an example of Zishan's use of media to add a personal touch to his fundraising campaign, so donors can see directly where the money is going, encouraging more people to donate. Now, back to the interview. Did you have any other key stories from your trip to Lebanon that you think helped to uh, encourage people to donate to your cause? There was another story where it was a family that I visited. There were two sisters, both widows. Husbands been killed in airstrikes. They had young children. One of the girls was pregnant when her husband was killed. The other sister had a couple of younger children as well. They were both only about 26, 25, so they were quite young. And I just noticed in the room there was another 17-year-old girl who was just sat there um, in one corner just looking down. And I work with mental health patients here in the UK, so I knew there was some sort of a mental health issue going on. So I asked, I said, you know, who's this girl here sat in the corner? And they said that was their cousin, who they said she was seven years old and she was returning from school. And when she returned from school, she found her house had been flattened and she found both her parents dead in the rubble. She was seven at the time. So a seven-year-old to, to see that. And they said since that day, she really stopped talking. And they said, it's been 10 years now. And she said she hardly speaks. No support, nothing at all. No psycho psychosocial support, nothing. So that was um, that was a story, really. You know, it's it's hard not to be brought to tears. You know, when you when you hear these kind of stories. So yeah, that was another story. And before we left, we arranged for some psychosocial support for this girl, this seventeen-year-old girl. So she's going to get a psychotherapist to come and visit her regularly now, which has been funded through someone's donations over here. So yeah, that was a really powerful, powerful story. You said that you get some degree of autonomy in distributing these funds. Where are they going exactly? So the way it works is there's a charity partner on the ground in Lebanon. And I mean, I have direct communication even with the CEO of Syria Relief here in the UK because he's from Manchester. So it's a simple case of wherever I raise, that is transferred over so there was, there was actually a team of three of us that went and the total amount raised between the three of us was about 240000 between three of us. That money was actually transferred over to the partner charity on the ground whilst we were there. And then it's a case of we just sit down with the charity there and we will allocate the funds. So, for example, we did about 800 food parcel distributions. We did winter clothing distribution for kids. So hats, scarves, gloves shoes for kids as well we did about 500 of those obviously there was all the family sponsorships so we just allocate the funds like that we find out what the cost of these items are and then we will just allocate the funds directly and because fundraising through just giving and because it's a registered charity people can claim gift aid as well which is like an extra 25 percent on top of the donation so because the gift aid is, is such a large amount on 240,000 that's sufficient for the charity to be able to use for admin costs, which means one of the selling points or one of the, the things that attracts people to donate is knowing that their donation is able to go fully towards Syrian refugees. That was Zishan Romani, a pharmacy contractor based in Manchester. You can read more about his crowdfunding campaign and find the link to donate via the CND website. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it on your preferred app or in SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. Thank you.